everybody doing today? So good to be with you. You all look good. It's a good day when you're in church, right? It's always a good idea to start your day with church. Well, you may not know me. You just saw a video of me, and I think I should have worn more makeup. Um, it's all fun to watch yourself in a video, right, girls? Um, so for those of you who don't know me, I am Pastor Kim Marion. Amen. And I am the associate pastor at our Framingham campus. How many know that we're one church, but we have multiple locations, right? And on that note, will you help me welcome our online campus? Our tri-county campus in Bellingham? And my campus in Framingham! Woo! Love them so much. So proud of them. Well, we've been doing this summer school series, right? You see the desk behind me? I, I was saying, like, in Framingham, we really don't see those. <laughs> so when I came, I went, what are the desks doing? Oh, it's part of the, the props. Oh, didn't even know they were going to be there. So kind of cool. This has been such an awesome series, though, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Have you learned a lot? Yeah. Book of James, very meaty, lots of wisdom. Who knew that it was a book of wisdom before this series, right? So cool that he gave us all this wisdom. And how many know that even though James was writing to the early Jewish Christians, he was really writing to you and me too, right? So if James is telling us words of wisdom, do we need it? Yes, we all need that wisdom, right? So this is our last class, guys. Yeah, I was hoping for a bigger boo, but you know. Yeah, this is our last class of this series. It's been so good, like I said. And we've had some amazing professors, haven't we? Yeah, they've been really good. And let me tell you, all of those professors wanted you to get this wisdom, but they also want you to apply this wisdom to your life, right? What good is it if you don't take what you've learned and make it part of your life? It's no good. In fact, you flunk summer school. And you don't want to flunk summer school. That's the worst because you have to take it over again. Nobody wants to take that over again, right? We want to pass the test here. And we want to make sure we're applying these things to our life. In fact, Pastor Steve taught us that we have to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And I like this illustration. Imagine if you were on a plane tomorrow and your pilot came over the loudspeaker and said, Ladies and gentlemen, um, I just want you to know I've been fully trained on how to operate this and fly this plane, but I've decided not to follow those instructions. I'm going to do this on my own in my own way. How many would stay on that plane? You would get off that plane, right? And that's the same for us. We have to apply the word of God when we learn about it. And Pastor Steve did a great job. He also taught us that faith without works is what? It's dead. There should be evidence that God is moving and working in our lives, right? And then we had Pastor Cliff. Do you guys love Pastor Cliff? Yeah. We're so spoiled by him. That man, the, what you see, the excitement and joy, he's always like that. It's real. It's not fake at all. And he taught us about our favorite topic of all, trials. Everybody like trials? Enjoy that? Yeah. Those are fun, aren't they? Well, he taught us that we can have joy in trials because we abide in the Lord. And he's got us through all of those trials, right? And do you know that Pastor Cliff was actually going through some major life trials when he preached that message? Could you tell? The joy that comes out of that man is incredible. Incredible. And he set a good example for us how you can have joy during trials. And they produce something in us. Endurance, perseverance. And then we get to help others. That's the best part of it. Nothing better than telling somebody, oh, I've been there. I know what you're going through, and here's what God did for me. So great. And then last week we had Pastor Chris. Yeah, he's awesome too. And he taught us that words matter. 
Words matter, right? What we say to God, what we say to each other, and what we say to ourselves matters. In fact, we can tear someone down or we can build someone up by just what we say. There's power in the tongue, right? And today I'm teaching your last class, and it's all about life being short. That's another great topic like trials, right? Um, life is short, but we don't want to miss the opportunities that God has for us. Amen? Amen. You guys are with me today? Oh, oh awesome. Ooh, I love that. That was awesome. That was, let's go. Love it. All right. The title of my lesson today is Life is a Mist. Life is a Mist. And you're going to see uh, a scripture I'm about to read on the screen behind me, so follow along. But otherwise, take out your textbooks, which we also call your Bibles. And you might have it on your phone. Or if you still have a paper Bible, God bless you. Oh, young person with a paper Bible. That is awesome. All right. We're going to be looking in the book of James. And we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Are you there with me? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Heavy. You know, the other day after one of our many deluge storms, have you guys been enjoying that? <laughs> the tornadoes, the flooding. It's been great, hasn't it? Great summer so far. But after one of the storms, the, everything cleared and the sun came out and I was like, oh, I'm going to take a walk. This is kind of nice outside. And as I was walking down the street, I looked up ahead and I saw mist over the road. And I'm like, that would be so cool if I could get a picture of that or a video to show with my sermon today, right? So I started walking faster towards it. I'm like, I'm gonna, I got my phone out. I got the camera ready. And as I got closer and closer to it, it just completely disappeared. I couldn't get a photo of it. It was gone, just like that, right? Life is really short. James is painting this amazing picture for us, isn't he? That life is short. But he's not saying, hey, life is short. Get out and get yours. Go out and seek your happiness and do whatever you like. Make sure you don't have any FOMO, right? This is not what James is saying. In fact, James is rebuking us. He's saying, what are you doing? I often say there's, there should have been another verse in there where he said, what are you, crazy? What are we doing as believers? Because who's he writing to here? believers. What are we doing when we're living our lives making plans about where we're going to live or where we're going to go or who we're going to marry and we don't even consult God and we're not aware of his will in the situation? What are we doing? Right? So James is really saying this. Listen, you can make plans. You got to make some plans, right? You got to plan what your kid eats for lunch tomorrow. You got to plan, you know, your doctor's appointments. You got to plan your vacation. It's not that planning is sinful. It's planning big things and all things that that should involve the voice of God. And we walk around like he's not part of our lives, even though we profess to be followers of Jesus. And so we don't want to just make plans that just pursue our own happiness, right? Listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity. All that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God to make him happy. Those things are what occur when we just pursue our own happiness. And that, that leads to 
terrible things, doesn't it? We don't want to live a life like that. In fact, the big idea here is your life wasn't meant to be wasted. It was meant to be impactful. You weren't born for nothing. You're not saved for nothing. God has plans for you. He made you uniquely to do those things and to carry it out. Let me tell you a story from my life about my dad. My dad um, was an amazing man. He was an accomplished artist. And he had a gallery down in Cape Cod. And he was a well-known uh, Cape Cod artist and landscape painter. He sold his paintings in his gallery for thousands of dollars. And he also was an art educator for many years in the need of public schools. He was an avid golfer. He was so good, he probably could have been a pro. And he played golf every day he could. And he was a huge sports fan. Anybody out here a huge Boston sports fan? Well, my dad loved the Patriots before the ever mention of Tom Brady name anywhere. He was there from day one. I'm talking early 60s. When I was a little girl, he would bring me to training camp. Anybody ever been to Patriots training camp? No? He would bring me, and it was just me and a few other people and all these football players. And I remember one time one of the big linebackers sat me on his lap and read me a story. I, was, I didn't have any idea why I was there or what are we doing, but I was like five years old. And, but that's a memory of mine, you know? That's how much my dad loved the Patriots. And so one day in early October 1998, my dad called me and said, listen, your birthday's next month, and I'd like to take you out to the Berkshires, where my dad was born and raised, and celebrate. And we'll go to the Yankee Candle Factory, and I'll buy you some birthday gifts. Um, I'm, I'm good with that. That was good. And um, we'll, we'll go up and, and do that, you know, in November. And I said, okay, Dad, that sounds good. A couple of days later, he called me, and he said, um, can we change the date and move it up to next weekend? And I was like, why, Dad? He goes, well, the Patriots are playing a Monday night football this weekend. And I don't want to miss the game in, in November, so this way I'll get to see the Patriots. I was like, okay. But he couldn't go on a Saturday because his, he was working in his gallery. And I said, well, I'll only go on a Sunday if I go to the church in the morning. And I went to the early church and he, service, and he said, okay. And so off we went to the Berkshires. We had a lovely day. Um, on the way home, my dad's wife, my stepmother, said to him, hey, our friends have asked if we can have dinner with them tomorrow night. Are you game? And he's like, um, I came today so I wouldn't miss the Patriots game tomorrow night. So I don't want to go anywhere. I want to watch the Patriots game. This game was super important to my dad, can you tell? No Tom Brady. I don't even remember who the quarterback was at the time. <laughs> Crazy. So we, we went home uh, to our area. We had dinner together. It was really lovely. And then we said goodnight, and he went to his house, and I went to my house. And the next morning, he woke up, and he went with my uncle to, what else, golf. Um, and while they were playing golf, they got to the ninth hole, and he asked my uncle, can I borrow one of your clubs? And my uncle said, sure, here you go. My dad got up to take a shot, and he fell over. And my uncle was like, what are you doing? Get up. What are you doing? You thought he was joking around. So he went over to my dad, and he realized his lips were blue. And the long story short is that my dad died right there on the ninth hole of a massive heart attack. He never saw that Patriots game. This is a good picture, right? We have no idea how long our lives are. The good news, though, well, the bad news, my dad was only 63 years old. But the good news is he had given his heart to the Lord three months earlier than that. One of my brothers led him to the Lord. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. So um, in that three months, though, he didn't have much of an opportunity to really grow his faith or to grow the kingdom of God, or to impact us as a family, his children, for God. It's such a 
a sad thing. It's such a, a waste, you know? So he was living still with what I call an attitude of independence. Everybody say that, an attitude of independence. He wasn't independent totally from God. He saved, right? But he, he kept that attitude like he wasn't saved. And this is what James is talking about in this scripture that I read to you, right? When we live with an attitude of independence, we're going to miss some opportunities that God has for us, right? You know that God has opportunities for you, right? He designed you specifically to do certain things. So I, there are many opportunities we could miss, but I want to focus on three today that I think are the most important. And the first one, I think, is more important than the other two because you need the first one to develop the other two, okay? So the first one is this. We will miss the opportunity to grow in our faith. How? By not developing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's read Galatians together, 5, 22 through 23. I believe it's up there. Awesome. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Tell me, who produces this in us? Do you produce it? Who do you need to produce it? Say it again. Who do you need to produce it? If you live with an attitude of independence, the Holy Spirit's not producing anything in you. And everybody wants these characteristics, don't they? We all do, right? But let's break those down a little bit. Let's look what they mean. Love. First of all, this is not romantic love or brotherly love. This is agape love that, that Paul is talking about here. That's a chosen love. That's not an emotion or a feeling. That says, I've got to love my neighbor, but more importantly, I've got to love my enemy. Can you do that on your own? Who do you need? He produces that in you, right? He's the farmer. He's the cultivator. Do we have any farmers or gardeners in here? Right? Awesome. Awesome. You know you have to tend to things for them to grow, right? We need that. And then there's joy. Like I said, Pastor Cliff really showed us that a couple of weeks ago. Because that joy is not based on exciting experiences that you're having. Your wedding and your child being born or you're getting a promotion at work. That joy is a joy that can abide and remain in terrible circumstances. I'm not going to leave because I know who I believe in. I know he's got me and I know where I'm going. That kind of joy that we can have any time. Then there's peace. This is not freedom from trouble. This is knowing that God has us in his hands. This is trust. This is a peace that passes your understanding. Do you know what that means? You don't understand why you feel peaceful because everything around you is chaotic. In this world, that's crazy right now. You can have peace. That's why you're a follower of Jesus. Don't you want peace? Can you cultivate that yourself? Who has to do it? Good job. Good job. Patience. How many of you have said, Lord, give me patience? <laughs> well, that means you have to bear with adversity. <laughs> that's, what uh, that's what patience is, is bearing with adversity. It's saying, listen, Satan's going to keep on trying to discourage you, to attack you, to get you out, but you have to keep on resisting him. And if you keep resisting him, he'll stop trying. That's what James teaches us earlier in this chapter. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you, right? Then there's kindness and goodness. That's bearing with each other and being generous. I, when you hear that bearing with each other, it kind of sounds like, oh, I got to put up with that person. <laughs> That's not really what it is. It's having an understanding that not everybody is like you or thinks like you or looks like you. 
Everybody's different in their, their path of growth and spiritual maturity. And we just need to have that mindset to be patient with them, right? Bearing with each other. And then it's being generous. Share what you have that God has given you in abundance with somebody in need. That, can you produce that yourself? Who has to produce it? That's right. And then faithfulness. And this is something I, I think about older Christians that have been Christians for a long time kind of get. And that is that you faithfully serve God your entire life of years of temptations and trials and you don't quit. You know, look for the older Christians. I'm speaking as one of them. Look for the older Christians and see how they are faithful even when things are hard. And that's a good lesson for some of you young people, right? Then gentleness. That is not demanding our own way. That is something we just kind of do. I want it this way. I think it should be this way. And, you know, your pastors, they, they are always thinking about vision. PD is thinking vision, and he's hearing from God. And we'll come along and say, no, I don't like the color of those walls. No, I don't like that leader. I don't like how you did that. I don't want it to be on this day because I have this this day and that this day. That we do that sort of thing. And it's, it's demanding our own way and not being teachable. Even at an older age, I still need to be teachable. I need to learn things, right? And I can learn things from young people, too, and I do all the time. Then we have self-control. This is probably the hardest one, but who cultivates the self-control in us? You guys are passing the test today. You're doing so well. This is self-denial. It's saying, I'm going to work on behalf of others. That's what self-control is. Denying your own flesh and what you want so someone else can rise up over you. That is real self-denial. And you cannot produce this in yourself. Who produces it? Now notice how all of these characteristics involved a sacrifice. Because you can't do it. You have to make the sacrifice, right? But the good news is you don't make that sacrifice alone. Who helps you? Good job. Now, another missed opportunity we'll have growing our faith is by not learning to put on the full armor of God. Ephesians 6, 13 through 18 says, Therefore, put on every piece, everybody say every piece, of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers. How many know if God told you to put on the full armor, you are going to need it? But we leave pieces on the ground. And you know what you're giving opportunity to? The enemy to put you down and discourage you. Do you know why he attacks you? People, I hear it all the time. When I minister, counsel people, the enemy's attacking me. Of course he's attacking you because you belong to God. And you, what you do for the kingdom of God, what you do in your life, that brings about his end. Do you understand why he wants you out? He wants to take every one of you out because you bring things to fruition that causes him to be in the lake of fire. So that's why he is opposing you. Do you understand? But you have to take a stand. We have to put on the full armor of God and understand. Pastor Steve told us we wouldn't be having tests after these classes. He's right. But you will have tests in life. Do you have everything you need 
so that you will not be overcome and overwhelmed. Okay, let's look at these a little bit, all right? The belt of truth. This is biblical truths that hold us together. Now, when you think about a belt, you don't necessarily think armor, right? But if anybody works out here, um, weightless, you know, you wear a weight belt, or if you're a physical therapist, whatever, what do they teach is the most important part of your muscular skeletal system? The core. See, you know this in the natural, right? But in the supernatural, it's also your core. And I mean your spiritual core. You have to understand biblical truths. You should know biblical truths so that when the enemy comes, you can say, no, that's not the truth. And you have to follow the truth. Like when he comes and says to you, God doesn't love you. Well, that's not what the word says. The truth is he loved you so much that he came and became a man and died in your place. That's a biblical truth, right? You've got to put that belt of truth on. Then we have the breastplate of righteousness. This gives us confidence in our standing with Jesus and that we belong to him. We're in right standing because of Jesus, because of grace. Look at this breastplate. It protects your heart. Your heart is deceitful. Don't trust your heart. That's why the enemy attacks you in the heart because he knows it will lie to you. So we want to protect our heart, and that's what the breastplate of righteousness does. And then the shoes, I call them, the shoes or I like to call them combat boots, right? We have a firm foundation in Christ in those shoes because of the gospel. That is a firm foundation, right? We have a gospel of peace that provides a footing for everything we do. When you start serving the Lord and you start doing th things for him, you're going to appreciate those combat boots. I got them on. You won't stop me, enemy. You won't stop me. I have a firm foundation I'm standing on, right? And then we have the shield of faith. That protects us from the lies of the enemy and helps us stand against them. Listen, I love to say this. The enemy speaks one language, and that is lies. He might slip in a truth now or again to get you to listen, but he only speaks lies. And he's telling you lies all the time because, again, he wants to take you out, right? And so we have to wear that, that shield and protect us from those fiery darts of lies that are coming at us. You don't have that shield, you're going to believe the lies. Simple. You're going to believe them. Then we have the helmet of salvation. It protects us against discouragement. In this world, has anybody felt discouraged? Oh, yeah. Right? And it's, it's protecting us against discouragement because I have some good news for you. Jesus won. Oh, no, that should have got a bigger response. Jesus won. There is no need for you to be discouraged. Don't look around you and see what's happening. Look to Jesus. And that is the protection that that gives you. It protects your mind. That's where the enemy's going to attack, guys. He's whispering in your ear. You know what I mean? Doubt, shame, lust, all of it. That's where he's attacking. So that helmet will protect your mind. Then the sword of the spirit, our offensive weapon, we like to say, right? It's the word of God. How are you going to wield your sword if you don't know the word of God? Why do you think we show up here every Sunday with you? It's because we want you to know the word so you can fight. I said so you can fight. If you don't know the word, you need to do something to change that. You need to start looking and reading the word, right? And then prayer. That's not typically what you would consider a piece of armor, but for the Christian, this is an important piece of armor, isn't it? right? Um, it says, I depend on God, not myself. Right. When you don't know what else to do, pray. Yeah. 
actually pray first, right? That is a strong piece of armor that you have because you're connecting yourself to God when you do that. And this brings us to our second missed opportunity. We'll miss the opportunity to grow the kingdom of God. How? By trying to do life on our own. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Notice how Jesus didn't say, you're the peanut butter to my jelly. You're the bacon to my eggs. He's not talking about just coming alongside of him. He's talking about being attached to him. He's your source of nutrients. He's your source of power. You can't do anything unless you are living with a proper attitude of dependence on God, right? I'll give you an illustration. You guys been hot at all this summer? Yes, a little bit hot. You have fans? Can you imagine if you took your fan on a hot day and you put it in your living room and you didn't plug it in and you didn't turn it on? And you went to it and said, eh, I'm going to get this thing going. You stuck your finger in the grill and just started doing this to the paddles. I mean, you might get a little. <sighs> but it's not going to cool you off and it's not going to cool anybody else off. But if I plug that thing in and I turn it on, <sighs> and it not just affects me, but it affects everybody in the room. You have to be connected to Jesus. We also won't have the opportunity to grow the kingdom of God by only having our human concerns and not the concerns of God. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You can keep trying to gain all these things, wealth, big house, fancy car, status, accolades, and all of that. But if you're doing it apart from God, it's worthless. It's just worthless. You might feel a little good now and again when you get people's praise, but when you go to heaven, none of that's going to matter, right? And there's another part of this, too, that I counsel a lot of people, and one of the things that I find they get stuck in isn't necessarily the things they want to attain, but the things they look back on their past for. Things like shame and guilt and unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, guys, is such a killer to your walk with the Lord. And it's hard, I understand, because you think, oh, if I forgive someone, that means it was okay what they did. That's not what it means. It's saying, Lord, I'm going to put this in your hands. You do what you want, what you see fit with that person, but I'm moving forward. I'm going on here. I, and I've seen this happen to people. The minute they uncork that unforgiveness and they forgive, God just explodes their lives with affecting the kingdom. Like, why are you still walking around trying to punish that person who doesn't even care what they did to you? Can you release it this morning? Listen, there's going to be doubts when you try to serve the Lord. There is. But here's something that the Lord tells me over and over again. He spoke it to me twice this week. Two separate people, they didn't even know that they said the same thing to me. And it's not a scripture quote. It's just a quote from something. It's, you lack nothing. Use what I gave you. You lack nothing. Those of you that are sitting here saying, I can't do it. I, I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. You lack nothing. You just have to use what God gave you. Today, I lack nothing. I'm using what God gave me. 
There's nothing more I need. And in this Church Connect, we do such a good job trying to help you find purpose, find your place. We have this four-week program called Next Steps, and it is basically your next step. What do I do? How do I learn who I am? How do I learn what this church is? How do I learn where I need to be and how I serve the Lord? Go to Next Steps if you haven't. Don't hesitate, because here's the thing. They give you lunch. And, and they also feed you spiritually. And you get to find out exactly who you are, and you get to meet those places where you can work. And then we have small groups. We're starting those next month, everyone. How you signed up? You need to sign up for a small group. Uh, some, I've heard people be like, I really didn't want to go because I, I get tired after work, and I just didn't want And then they go, and it's like, this is the best thing I ever did. I have so many testimonies from the small groups that I've led or been in I wish I could give them all to you now because you'd all go to a small group. It is a place that you can serve and be served, a place to, for you to use what God has given you. You have everything you need. And then we have teams. I'll tell you, I was really impressed. I'm, I'm from Framingham, right? And I love my campus so much. It's so awesome. But you guys have two services right now. And watching all the, the people that are involved to make that all happen in production, it's impressive what's going on here. You can be a part of a team. Listen, there's plenty of teams here for you to get on. And you have a special anointing and a special gift from God to do that. And it's so rewarding. And then we have our Connect Leadership Academy, CLA. If you feel called to lead, we're going to train you. Isn't it awesome? And I've been there. It's incredible. If you're not going, man, oh, you, you need to get into CLA. All right. Now to our final missed opportunity. We'll miss the opportunity to grow our family in the faith. That's what my dad didn't get to do because he was only a Christian such a short time. But how? By not being examples of a life lived for Christ. Psalm 145.4 says, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. If you're not modeling for your kids a life lived for Christ, it's going to stop with your generation, folks. That you're their best teacher. You're their best mentor as parents, right? Um, kids don't grow up doing what you told them. They grow up doing what you showed them. I have a family that I absolutely adore. I have two kids who serve the Lord, and I'm so proud of them. Um, they're going to hopefully be here next week for my ordination. So glad. Um, and I have four grandchildren. I don't have enough time here to brag. They are the best grandchildren that ever lived. My husband agrees. Um, just an awesome, awesome time being a grandparent. I absolutely love it. And I'm watching my children now raise their children in the faith, which is so rewarding to me. And I have a little three-year-old granddaughter who's a hoot. I mean, she's, I don't know what she's going to do, but God bless this girl. <laughs> and she, I asked her the other day, you know, what's your favorite song? And I figured it would be something from the Frozen soundtrack because she dresses as Anna every single day. <laughs> so I was ready to hear, you know, let it go. No. She thought for a minute and looked at me and she went, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Wow. I, I'm not joining the worship team, by the way. I'm not. No, no, no. Oh, nothing. You're funny. Um, 
I have a young adult that's in one of my groups, and every time we sing, she goes, worship team? I'm like, no. <laughs> also, we'll miss the opportunity by not submitting to each other in our households. Mm, this is a big one, right? Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If we have an attitude of independence from God, husbands won't lead their families. And they'll leave them spiritual orphans and unprotected, and the enemy will get in. Okay? Wives will try to take their place and feel overwhelmed and resentful. Kids will disobey parents and ultimately God. And then parents will make it hard for them to obey God because they'll make it all about rules and being good. And that will destroy the family. That will absolutely cause division in your family and destroy it. You need to set your mind right now, not my family. I'm going to lead well in my family, whatever you are. In closing, a life of missed opportunities due to our attitude of independence from God is no life at all. It's a missed. It's living a life not even being true to your real self and who God made you to be. You'll never figure that out. And you'll always wonder, why am I struggling? Why don't I have peace? Why don't I have joy? Why do I feel attacked every day and not able to stand? Maybe you need to check your attitude. Could you guys close your eyes and bow your heads with me for a sec? In the end of uh, chapter 4, verse 17, James says this. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. That's a very powerful line. You've been taught at summer school for four weeks now, and you know what you ought to do. If you don't do it, it's sin for you. And I just want to talk to believers first. Is that okay? A little different than what we typically do. Because I want to give you that opportunity after this four-week summer school. What is the Holy Spirit telling you that needs to be strengthened, that you need to be dependent on him in this area and you're not? You don't have to raise your hands. But if you're a believer right now, will you do me a favor and repent? Tell God I'm sorry. I realize now the place that I've been falling short and I want your help. Do that right now. Or this summer school was for nothing. And then go do it. And for those of you who we call pre-believers, just came in here today, you didn't even know you could be dependent on, on God or that he has all these things for you. In your life, you've been beaten up. You've been misused, mistreated. You've had loss. And you want purpose. We want you to have purpose here at Connect. We want to find out what that is. But we can't until you make a very important decision today. And that is a decision that you want to invite Jesus Christ into your life and be attached to him. And we're not going to embarrass you here today. No one's looking at you. We're not going to call you out. But I just want you to do this simple thing. If that is you today and you realize I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, do me a favor, just slip up your hand right now. Slip it up. I see a hand. I see a hand. I see your hand. I see your hands. Amen. Amen. I see your hands. It's all, you can put your hands down now. We're going to pray together, and I want you to, you know, pray after with me. Say, Heavenly Father, today I repent. I don't want to have independence from you. 
So I receive you right now as my Lord and Savior. Come in and change my life in all these ways. In Jesus' name, amen.